Due to the extreme nature of this program, listeners' discretion is advised. The subject matters may include topics of substance usage, sex, foul language, and references to historical events that may be sensitive to some listeners. Things discussed may not be considered politically correct in this overly sensitive environment. They may not be appropriate for listeners under the age of 13. As well as some listeners, no matter the age, may find things offensive. Again, listener discretion is advised. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to GXO, another episode of Generation Extraordinary, the podcast nobody asked for. Focusing on everything pop culture from the greatest generation ever, Generation X. So if it happened between 1960 and 1999, you darn right we're going to talk about it, like movies, music, TV, and even a bit of history from that year. Who knows, you may just learn something before we're done, and if you're lucky, this old man just may regale you with a story or two. I'm Robert Pop, coming to you from beautiful Podunk, Nebraska. She had no children, only dogs. And if you see her in your dreams, be sure you never, ever scream. Werewolf! Werewolf? There! What? Werewolf! There! Castle! Why are you talking that way? I thought you wanted to. No, I don't want to. Suit yourself. I'm easy. Welcome to another episode of GXO, Generation Extraordinary, the podcast nobody asked for. This week, as promised, I will be talking about the 70s horror movies. And just as always, I'm going to be running down the top headlines for the 1970s. So buckle in, students, because here we go. So in 1970, the top headline was, The first jumbo jet, the Boeing 747, makes its debut commercial flight from New York to London. In 1971, the U.S. voting age is lowered from 21 to 18 when the 26th Amendment was ratified. In 1972, the Watergate scandal begins when White House operatives are caught burglarizing the Democratic National Committee. 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court declares that abortion is a constitutional right in the landmark decision on Roe v. Wade, regardless of how any of us felt about that. 1974, President Richard Nixon, I am not a crook, resigned after saying, I am not a crook. Uh, from office after being implicated in the Watergate scandal and then old Jerry Ford. He uh, he was like the janitor and everybody else got indicted and shit and they just brought him up and said, you want to be president? Okay. and uh, But you can be as long as you pardon President Nixon. So that happened. In 1975, the movie Jaws opened in theaters, and it's considered to be one of the first blockbuster films. In 1976, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak created the Apple Computer Company. 
1977, the MRI scanner is first tested. In 1978, the first computer game, Space Invaders, is released. And then finally, in 1979, Three Mile Island nuclear incident occurred in Pennsylvania. In the music store, we had quite a little different music than we did in the 60s. So to start out, of course, either love it or you hate it, but we had disco. There's my producer. The 70s saw some great acts, even if it was disco, regardless of how you feel. So we saw the Bee Gees, Gloria Gaynor, ABBA, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Yvonne Elliman, Thelma Houston, The Village People, Donna Summer, and Chic. Not to mention Diana Ross was also a part of the, the disco movement. Now in rock musicians, we had some really great ones that emerged, such as Kansas, Rush, ELO, Yes, Genesis, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Supertramp, Queen, and Grand Funk Railroad. Punk rock saw New York Dolls with Patti Smith, The Ramones, I never was much of a Ramones fan, Blondie, you could tell she was stoned all the time, The Sex Pistols, The Clash, The Cars, Talking Heads, and David Bowie. In funk and soul music, we had Sly and the Family Stone, Parliament, and Funkadelic, Rufus, Shaka Khan, and they teamed up more than once. Cool and the Gang, the Isley Brothers, the Commodores, the Jackson 5. I don't know that I would say that the Jackson 5 was funk or soul, but it's on the list. The Ohio Players, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Chic, and the hardest working man in show business, James Brown. <laughs> In crime, in the 70s, we saw John Wayne Gacy. We had Watergate, Ted Bundy, Sid Vicious, and Nancy Spudgeon. Uh, That was a deal where Sid was accused of killing her and then quote-unquote OD'd. Jim Jones, which we covered a few weeks ago at the Guyana tragedy. Dr. Harold Shipman killed a total of 218 patients as their doctor. We saw Patty Hearst that was kidnapped and then went through Stockholm Syndrome and joined her kidnappers in this big, elaborate uh, movement. That's the best word. We saw D.B. Cooper, which we covered many months ago. The Son of Sam, David Berkowitz. And, sadly, the Kent State shootings. In the bookstore, we had The Lorax by Dr. Seuss. The World According to Garp. Much better book than the movie. Sorry, that's just the truth. The Stand. Great book. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Thanks for all the fish. Centennial, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, The Day of the Jackal, The Shining, Sophie's Choice, and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. 
on Broadway, Chicago, I love Chicago, Pippin, I like Pippin, a chorus line, I like a chorus line, Jesus Christ Superstar, and the only time I've ever seen that was a movie version of it, Godspell, Evita, I wasn't a fan of Evita, but my one of, I would have to say, probably my top five Broadway plays, movies, stories, no matter how you put it. Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Love that. Love it. There's been so many different versions of it. There's, it, yeah, there's the musical versions. There's the non-musical versions. Oh, I love it. Grease, Annie, because the sun will come out tomorrow. And the best little whorehouse in Texas. In the movie theater, the top 10 are Star Wars, The Godfather, Alien, Jaws, Rocky, Animal House, Carrie, The Sting, Apocalypse Now, and Taxi Driver. And then finally on TV, we were watching Happy Days, MASH, The Dukes of Hazard, Dallas, Little Jiggle TV with Charlie's Angels, and Three's Company. We had some racist TV going on, and I swear all these snowflakes around that their heads would just explode if they ever saw a, a version or an episode of All in the Family or the Jeffersons. We had the Mary Tyler Moore Show, and probably what I think is one of the funniest radio programs ever. Not that there's very many radio programs, but WKRP in Cincinnati. And my favorite episode is The Turkey Drop. And of course, today we're going to be talking about those Halloween movies from the 1970s. So stick around. Once upon a time, in an average town, there lived a very special girl with an extraordinary gift. From legendary director Brian De Palma comes the terrifying masterpiece based on the novel by Stephen King. I want to be normal. I want to start to try and be a whole person before it's too late for me to... The devil is come home. expressed are just that, Rob's views and opinions. He may not always be politically correct. 
and they may not match up with your opinions. Please believe it is not his intention to offend anyone. Hopefully you find the show entertaining and informative as well. Please note, Rob is not a professional historian, but he's done a lot of research for this show. And with that being said, mistakes happen, but he will do his best to minimize those. Keep in mind, he's just some nut with a microphone. All right, welcome back from that break. Thank you for joining me on this 70s horror movie episode of GXO. Now, as I mentioned last week, you all have probably guessed by now that I love movies and I really like scary movies. The 70s, much like the 60s, had a lot of good movies. Some, not so good. And some, that really sucked donkey balls. So, I could spend an entire month talking about horror movies that I like, but I tried to narrow it down for each of my episode to the my top five for that decade. So, I'm also going to preface that some of these titles may include multi-movie franchises that cross over from year to year or from decade to decade. So, without further delay, let's just jump right in. So, the 1970s had these good these good horror movies such as The Exorcist, Jaws, Alien, Dawn of the Dead, The Omen. Oh my god, that was a fucked up movie. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The Legend of Hell House. The Hills Have Eyes, and Salem's Lot. Now, in my opinion, and again, as my disclaimer says, that these are just my opinion, The Wicker Man. The original one from the 70s, oh my God, I thought that was so bad. The Abominable Dr. Fibs. Hmm. With a title like that, how can you ever forget that? Martin, and I don't believe that that was Martin Lawrence, not at that time. The Night Stalker. Not about Richard Ramirez. Shivers. Ooh. Now this one fucked with me. Phantasm. That Undertaker dude with that flying ball that drills into people's heads. Yeah, that was a fucked up movie. Not great, but it was still scary. Piranha. Bad movie. Horrible movie. Horrible movie. Nice concept, but horrible movie. And really bad orca where it was the killer whale and then we had the really bad oh my god there were so many of them but i narrowed them down here theater of blood the brood frightmare last house on the left let's get a little racist with blackula yes kids that was a movie the Black Dracula. Wow. Trilogy of Terror. The Creeping Flesh. The Swarm. The Bees. And Frogs. And I have to say that those are all just... <sighs> Some of those, even like Blackula, doesn't even suck donkey balls. It sucks the sweat off a fucking donkey ball's sack. Though, so just... Ugh. But my top five, and I'm not going to run these down in any specific order. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to run these down from, from my favorite, or from my fifth favorite down to my absolute favorite. So starting off, we had Halloween, then the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Carrie, the Amityville Horror, and finally Friday the 13th. 
So Halloween is, of course, an American slasher movie. It tells the story of Michael Myers, who was committed to a sanitarium as a child for the murder of his sister, Judith. Fifteen years later, he escapes to stalk and kill people in the fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois. Michael's killings occur on the holiday Halloween, which all of the films primarily take place. Throughout the series, various protagonists try to stop Myers, including the most notable babysitter, Lori Stroud, played by the beautiful Jamie Lee Curtis, and the psychiatrist, Dr. Samuel Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance. Twelve films have followed since 1978 when the original was released. We had Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, Halloween H2O, this was 20 years later, Halloween Resurrection, Halloween in 2007, a remake of the original film, Halloween 2 in 2009, that was a sequel to the remake, 2018 saw Halloween, and this is a direct sequel to the original film from 1978. Halloween Kills takes place immediately after its predecessor in 2018. And Halloween Ends, and that picks up four years after Halloween Kills. And I have to say that I have seen all of them. Um... The last one, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Because, honestly, it's a good send-off for the franchise. And I really hope that they don't try to bring it back. So, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 1974 horror film. This film follows a group of friends who fall victim to a family of cannibals while on their way to visit an old homestead. The film was marketed as being based on true events to attract a wider audience and to act as a subtle commentary on the era's political climate. Although the character of Leatherface and minor story details were inspired by the crimes of Ed Gein, its plot is largely fictional. In the early hours of August 18, 1973, a grave robber, steals several remains from a cemetery near Newt Muerto County in Texas. The robber ties a rotting corpse and other body parts onto a monument, creating a grisly display in which is discovered by a local resident as the sun rises. Driving in a van, five young people take a road trip through the area. Sally, Jerry, Pam, Kirk and her and Sally's handicapped brother Franklin. They stop at the cemetery to check on the grave of Sally and Franklin's grandfather, which appears undisturbed. As the group drive past a slaughterhouse, Franklin recounts his family history with animal slaughter. They pick up a hitchhiker who says that his own family has also experience with animal slaughter. When the group refuses to pay the hitchhiker for a photograph, he attacks Franklin and smears a bloody symbol on the side of the van after he's thrown out. Low on gas, 
the kids stop at a gas station whose proprietor says that no fuel is available. The group explore a nearby abandoned house owned by Sally and Franklin's family. Kirk and Pam leave the others behind planning to go swimming, <laughs> skinny dipping. Horror Story 101, don't go fucking around because, yeah, no, you just don't do that. They discover another nearby house running gas-powered generators, hoping to barter for some gas. Kirk enters the house. Oh, fucking Kirk, you dumbass. A large man wearing a mask made of skin attacks Kirk with a hammer, killing him. When Pam enters the house, she finds it living room strewn with human and animal bones. The man grabs her, impales her on a meat hook, and starts up the gas-powered chainsaw to dismember Kirk's body as Pam watches. In the evening, Jerry searches for Pam and Kirk. When he enters the other house, he finds Pam's nearly dead, spasming body in a chest freezer. The masked man then kills Jerry with a hammer. At night, Sally and Franklin start towards the other house. The masked man ambushes them, killing Franklin with a chainsaw. The man chases Sally into the house where she finds a very old, seemingly dead man and a woman's rotting corpse. The masked man chases Sally back to the gas station and vanishes. The station's proprietor comforts Sally for a moment. There, there, you'll be all right. Don't worry about it. After which he beats and subdues her, loading her into his pickup truck. The proprietor drives to the other house and the hitchhiker appears. The proprietor scolds him for his actions at the cemetery, identifying the hitchhiker as the grave robber. As they enter the house, the masked man appears dressed in women's clothing. The proprietor identifies the masked man as and the hitchhiker as brothers. The hitchhiker refers to the masked man as Leatherface. The two brothers bring the old man, Grandpa, down the stairs and cut Sally's finger so that Grandpa can suckle her blood. Sally faints. Fuck, I would too. The next morning, Sally regains consciousness. The men taunt her and bicker with each other, resolving to kill her with a hammer. They try to include Grandpa in the activity, but Grandpa's grip is weak and he drops the hammer repeatedly. Sally then breaks free and runs onto the road in front of the house, pursued by the brothers. An oncoming truck accidentally runs over the hitchhiker, killing him. The truck driver attacks Leatherface with a large wrench, injuring him, and escapes on foot. Sally, covered in blood, flags down a passing pickup truck and climbs into the bed, narrowly escaping Leatherface. As the pickup drives away, Sally laughs giddily. Leatherface flails his chainsaw in frustration as the sun rises. Now, I got to say, I've seen this movie. I've seen the original. I've seen the remakes. Yeah, in the 70s and early 80s, when I was starting to get into the horror movies, this kind of scared the shit out of me because even then, the stories that this was based on a true story were all around. As a matter of fact, in my little podunk town, we had a chainsaw house. The legend around it is that uh, some dude came home, caught his wife in the rack with some other guy, and went out to the shed and grabbed a chainsaw, cut her up, cut up his kids, and then out of guilt tried to take his own head with his chainsaw. 
Carrie. Carrie is a 76 horror film adapted from Stephen King. The film starred Sissy Spacek, a shy 16-year-old Carrie White, who lives with her fanatically religious and unstable mother, Margaret. She is unpopular at school and often bullied by her peers. When Carrie experiences her first period in the school shower, she panics, having never been told about menstruation. Carrie's classmates throw tampons and pads at her while chanting, plug it up, until the gym teacher, Miss Collins, intervenes. Following conversations with Miss Collins and the principal, Carrie is dismissed from school for the day. After arriving at home, Margaret tells Carrie that her menstruation was caused by sin. And she locks Carrie in an altar-like prayer closet to pray for forgiveness. At school, Collins reprimands Carrie's tormentors, punishing them with a week-long detention during gym class. She threatens that those who skip the punitive measure will be suspended for three days and barred from the upcoming prom. However, Carrie's longtime bully, Christine, walks out and gets excluded from the prom. Plotting revenge against Carrie, Chris and her boyfriend, Billy, break into a farm and kill pigs to drain their blood into a bucket, which they place above the school stage in the gymnasium. Norma, Chris's best friend and prominent figure in the school student council, plans to rig the prom queen election in Carrie's favor to get her on stage. Meanwhile, Sue, a deeply remorseful classmate, asks her handsome and popular boyfriend, Tommy Ross, to invite Carrie to the prom, played by William Catt. Believe it or not. Seriously, believe it or not, that's he was the greatest American hero, played Tommy Ross. Carrie believes the proposition to be a prank, but he insists that this is genuine and she reluctantly accepts after Miss Collins consoles her. At home, she begins to discover that she has telekinesis and she shakes off her shyness despite Margaret's protests. Carrie puts on a flattering dress and hairstyle for the prom. Yeah, she looked good, you know. Sissy Spacek ain't got much of a figure. I mean, I've seen toothpicks with more curves. Margaret sees Carrie's telekinetic powers and denounces her as a witch before Carrie leaves with Tommy. During the prom, Chris and Billy hide under the stage while the other conspirators switch the ballots to ensure that Carrie wins prom queen. As Carrie stands on stage with Tommy, finally feeling as though she's being accepted by her peers, Sue realizes Chris and Billy's plan and begins to intervene. Miss Collins spots Sue, thinking that she's up to no good, and throws her out of the prom. Chris and Billy pull the rope attached to the bucket of pig blood, dousing Carrie as they sneak out of the school. The empty bucket then hits the outraged Tommy in the head and he collapses. The crowd is left shocked and speechless at the prank. But Carrie hallucinates that everyone, even Miss Collins, is mocking her and laughing at her. 
telekinetically, she sealed the doors and controls a fire hose in which several partygoers attempt to escape and sprays the overhead lights. Miss Collins is crushed by a falling basketball backboard, and Carrie's principal and teacher are electrocuted, setting the gym on fire. Carrie exits the gym and seals the doors behind her, trapping the staff and classmates. As Carrie walks home, Chris and Billy attempt to run over her with Billy's car, but Carrie causes the car to overturn and explode, killing them. After Carrie gets home and bathes herself, Margaret reveals that Carrie was conceived when her husband was drunk and that Margaret acted shamefully and that she enjoyed it. She comforted Carrie and then stabbed her in the back with a kitchen knife and begins chasing her through the house. Carrie levitates several sharp implements and sends them flying towards Margaret, crucifying her. Then she destroys the house and perishes. Sometime later, Sue, the only survivor of the prom, has a nightmare in which she goes to lay flowers on the charred remains of Carrie's house, upon which a for sale sign was vandalized in black paint with the words, Carrie White burns in hell. Suddenly, Carrie's bloody arm reaches up from beneath the rubble and grabs Sue's hand. Sue wakes up screaming and writhing in terror as her mother tries to comfort her. Carrie is one of those movies that I like to watch it. Um, Doesn't have great special effects, but they weren't bad for the time. Um, It was one of those movies that still to this day, it holds up. Regardless whether you have the remake with Chloe, I can never say her last name. Um, or with Sissy Spacek. Good movie. It's a good script. Um, You know, if you've never seen it, you should watch it. And I recommend actually watching the original first if you're going to watch them both. So, The Amityville Horror. Now, this film was from 1979, and it follows a, a couple who purchase a home by that's it, it it's had a history of combative supernatural forces it's based on jay anson's 1977 book of the same name which documented the alleged paranormal experiences of the lutz family who briefly resided in amityville new york where the home is located and where convicted killer ronald defeo jr committed a mass murder of his family in 1974. In the early mornings of November 13, 1974, Ronald DeFeo murdered his entire family with a rifle at their home in Amityville. One year later, middle-class newlyweds George and Kathy Lutz move into the house with Kathy's three children from a prior marriage, Greg, Matt, and Amy. Despite George's agnostic approach to religion, Kathy is a nominal Roman Catholic and requests a Jesuit priest, Father Delaney, to bless the home. When Father Delaney arrives, he enters the house. He is then swarmed by flies upstairs and hears a hostile voice ordering him to leave, and it causes him to flee. The next day, Kathy's Aunt Helena, a nun, 
visits the house and becomes violently ill and leaves abruptly, confounding Kathy. The, the Lutz's domestic life begins to sharply decline over the next few weeks. George becomes uncharacteristically violent and abusive and obsesses over keeping the home warm with firewood, despite that Kathy insists it's not cold. George recurrently awakes at 315 the same time the Defoe's were murdered, while Kathy suffers disturbing nightmares. Before Kathy's brother's engagement party one night, $1,500 to be paid to the caterer inexplicably goes missing in the house. Meanwhile, the babysitter watching Amy for the evening is locked inside a bedroom closet by an unseen force. Further unexplained incidents occur when one of the two boys suffers a crushed hand when a sash window falls on it. And Amy has an imaginary friend, Jody, who seems to be of a malevolent nature. One night, Kathy glimpses two red swine-like eyes outside Amy's second-story window. Delaney makes several attempts to intervene. That seems to be thwarted by unusual incidents and accidents and occurrences. His phone calls to the house are frequently experienced by Kathy as static noise. And on one occasion, his car malfunctions en route to the house, nearly causing a fatal crash. Convinced there are demonic forces at work, Father Delaney grows frustrated by the lack of support from his superiors in the diocese. Meanwhile, George's land surveying business begins to suffer because of the lack of attendance concerning his business partner, Jeff. Jeff's wife, Carolyn, who has psychic abilities, is both repulsed and intrigued by the things that she feel at the house. In the home's basement, Carolyn is drawn to a brick wall that the family dog, Harry, has been repeatedly scratching at and she begins to dismantle it with a hammer. Discovering the damage, George takes down the rest of the wall, uncovering a small room with red walls. Carolyn, in terror, shrieks that they have found the passage to hell, her voice rem resembling that of Father Delaney's. Later that night, Father Delaney prays passionately at his pulpit for God to save the family before he inexplicably loses his sight and falls catatonic. Kathy visits the library to research the property's history where she finds county records suggesting that the house was built atop a Shinecock burial ground. I should never say Shinecock. That a known satanic worshiper named John Ketchum had once lived in the, on the land. She also discovers news clippings about the Defoe murders and notices that Ronald Defoe has a striking resemblance to her husband, George. The paranormal events culminate that night during a rainstorm. Blood oozes from the walls and down the staircase. Jody appears as a large red-eyed pig and is seen through a window. And a seemingly possessed George, he attempts to kill the children with an axe, but regains his wits after Kathy intervenes. After falling through the basement stairs into a 
pit of black sludge while rescuing Harry, George and the rest of the family drive away, abandoning their home and belongings. The closing title reads, George and Kathleen Lutz and their family never reclaimed their home or their personal belongings. Today, they live in another state. Now, I mentioned this uh, last week, I believe, with the 60s or possibly even the week before that with uh, the, the history of Halloween. Paranormal investigators that were on this were uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren and that they were convinced that the house was definitely possessed. And, of course, me being Catholic, you know, it, yeah, I, I believe it. I believe it. I would never go anywhere near Amityville, New York, just because of that. Never, never, never. Don't fucking tempt fate. Never. My favorite horror movie, and it's so stupid. It is Friday the 13th, and it is a slasher film. It has comprised of just the films, the TV series, novels, comic books, video games, and all the merchandise that ties into it. The franchise mainly focuses on the fictional character, Jason Voorhees, who was thought to have drowned as a boy at Camp Crystal Lake due to the negligence of the camp staff. Decades later, the lake is rumored to be cursed and is the setting for a series of mass murders. Jason is featured in all of the films as either a killer or the motivation for the killings. Although the films were not popular with critics, Friday the 13th is considered to be one of the most successful media franchises in America. Not only for the success of the films, but also of its extensive merchandising and repeated references to the series in all kinds of different things pop culture. The franchise popularity has generated a fan base who has basically created their own Friday the 13th films fashioned replica Jason Voorhees costumes, tattooed their bodies with Friday the 13th artwork. And Jason's hockey mask has become one of the most recognizable images in horror. There's not much plot to go into for Friday the 13th. It's a slasher film. Typically, this is what you think of when you think of a slasher film. This is what you think of 80 slasher films or 70 slasher films. Because it's basically a bunch of kids fooling around, having sex, and here comes the boogeyman. So, with that being such a simple plot, it's surprising to me on how much this has, has really lived and endured through. So, we had, of course, the original, Friday the 13th. And then we had Friday the 13th Part 2 in 1981. Part 3 in 1982, Part 4, which was the final chapter, yeah, right, 1984 brought that. 1985 brought a new beginning. 1986 brought Jason Lives. 88 saw The New Blood. 90 saw Jason Takes Manhattan. In 93, Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. 2001 saw Jason X. In 2003, Freddy vs. Jason. This was a crossover between Freddy the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. And I have to say, probably one of my favorite because it has two of my favorite horror superstars in them. 
In 2009, a new Friday the 13th film, which restarted the film series continuity, was released. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. And next week, the 80s. So stay aware of what's going on out there. And if you're going to have sex, don't do it in in, in a in a abandoned farmhouse. Don't do it at a camp where the boogeyman can find you. This has been Generation Extraordinary. The views and opinions are mine and mine alone. Any claims of time travel are purely fictitious. The music and audio clips are not mine, and in most cases were downloaded through my paid YouTube subscription and are only used for entertainment purposes. GXO is a production of Popeye Enterprises. Its host, creator, producer, and editor is Robert Pop. Co-producer is Harley Quinn Pop. Special guest voice actresses are... Ariel Pop and Rachel Lyons. For more information, support, or to contact us, go to the website at www.genxord.com. Thanks for listening. She had no children, only dogs. And if you see her in your dreams, be sure you never, ever scream.